I'm Aria Schwartz, along with Rachel Galligan, and welcome to the Windsider Show, where it's all about the W. This episode, I'm very excited to get into as we continue our series of going in-depth on each team in the league. This episode, we welcome Kevin Pelton to the show to chat all things Seattle Storm. If you like our show, please consider joining our Patreon community, patreon.com backslash Winsider. For less than a cup of coffee a month, you can directly show support for the hard work we do covering the W. And don't forget to see our amazing staff's written content at winsider.com. That's winsider.com. And remember, downloading the episode makes for a better listening experience, but also our stats look better and allows us to continue doing this important work. Kevin Pelton, the big name, the stats guy. I'm very excited for this show. I'm very excited to uh, chop it up and talk all things Seattle Storm with you. Very, very excited if you haven't already picked up on. Welcome to the show. How you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. So before we get into all of this, I want to preface this with, Kevin, tell everyone where they can read your writings, uh, see your Twitters, and all of the above. Yeah, ESPN.com's WNBA page. And then on Twitter, it's kind of confusing because I will occasionally tweet from Cape Helton is my main account. And that's a lot of NBA content, naturally, uh, since that's kind of my primary focus at ESPN. And then the, the devoted women's basketball account is Cape Helton WBB. Love it. Yeah, I had to I had to make sure I was following the correct one, the, the WBB one. That's the one that we've got the WNBA content on. Kevin, we're so excited to have you here. I just kind of want to start before we dive into this 2021 Storm roster. You have a really cool story. Um, you've you've really been around the game, uh, the professional game for a long time, and, and covered it from a lot of different. Um, I guess, angles, if you will. But why don't you give the listeners a little bit of your background? I mean, you really have built this um, kind of your name from the ground up. Like, how did you get your start? And how did how did you get to where you are right now? Yeah, I was really lucky that I kind of got into this at the perfect time where basketball writing on the internet was just starting to become a thing. I was in college at the University of Washington when I became aware of, you know, statistical analysis in basketball, which was really in its infancy at that point. You had John Hollinger just starting to do some work before he had even gotten to SI, let alone ESPN, where, you know, he was kind of my predecessor in many ways. Uh, Dean Oliver, who sort of set the template for a lot of the work that is still done in terms of per possession ratings and the four factors on offense and defense. And so around the same time, I also started writing about first the Sonics and the NBA. And in 2002, Dean Oliver was doing a project with John Maxwell, who's still in the league, uh, is the Aces with their PR staff. And they put a volunteer in each WNBA market to track some defensive statistics that Dean had come up with to kind of come up with a defensive equivalent to everything that's in the offensive box score. So a forced miss or a forced turnover, not just blocks and steals, but you know, looking at everything that happens on the defensive side of the game. And I volunteered to do that for the Storm here in Seattle. It was the first time I had really paid any attention to the WNBA. This was 2002, so Subert had just been the number one pick, Warren Jackson the number one pick the year before. Wow. And it a great took time me, to come around, right? <laughs> a perfect time. It took me two games, I always say, to get hooked. The second game was against Minnesota. Katie Smith led Minnesota team. 
and Sue Bird leads a fourth quarter comeback. And it's like, okay, she is the real deal. And I was completely bought in. So it was great timing then, not only from the standpoint of the storm getting good, but also from the standpoint of that fall, I got hired by the Sonics and Storm as an intern to write for their websites. And when the 2003 season came along, being out of college, you know, by that point, the, the you know, school year being over, was able to really cover them is a full-time beat in a way that I couldn't do during the NBA season with the Sonics. And, you know, it was a lot of fun and grew into, I, that was my full-time job up through the Sonics move, kept doing it part-time covering the storm after they went independent from 2009 through 2012, right up until I got hired by ESPN uh, on the basis of kind of my statistical based work primarily on the NBA again. Wow. And, and when, correct me, clarify for me because Knowing so little about the NBA side, what exactly went down with the ownership? Did did the ownership of the Sonic continue ownership of Seattle for a little bit? I don't even know when the, the Sonic <laughs> left uh, Seattle. So educate me and the fans uh, who know there used to be a men's basketball team there and often get upset on social media when people forget about the storm when they talk about bring basketball back to Seattle. <laughs> Exactly. We have professional basketball. Now, we, we do need the, an NBA team as well. But So I, I wouldn't say it's a fun story, but the story is this actually went down the day the Storm was playing their Kids' Day, day game. Uh, I forget who was in town, but that day, the sale of the team to a group from Oklahoma City was announced, and it became pretty evident pretty quickly that Oklahoma City was, you know, had just hosted the Hornets, was looking for an NBA team, and the, there was a strong likelihood of a move. And one of the questions was, hey, what's going to happen with the Storm? Because that ownership group was not necessarily as invested in women's basketball as they were in getting the, uh, the Sonics to Oklahoma City. Although not everyone, because Bill Cameron, who ended up owning the team in Tulsa, and I think is still part of the ownership group in Dallas, was a part of that Oklahoma City group. He was kind of the, you know, the, the point person for sto the Storm. So start of 2008, when it really has become clear the team is about to move imminently, there was a group of local owners, Force 10 Hoops, that stepped up, I think all season ticket holders, and purchased the Storm to make sure that they'd stay in Seattle independently, even after the Sonics moved. That's amazing. And might be, not, hopefully not, but hey, might be a, a, a story, a predecessor for what might happen to the Lynx and the Minnesota Timberwolves with the new ownership group going in there. Not not this episode. Let's talk Seattle Storm. Uh, I know you've been involved in a lot of the training camps. Obviously, at least from my knowledge, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, media has not been allowed into camp yet. They, they're uh, select places media has been welcome in to watch preseason games or some of the scrimmages, but they've not been able to actually watch training camp itself. So obviously, a lot of this is going off of uh, media availability, what the coaches are saying, what the players are saying. But give me kind of uh, an update. What are your key takeaways uh, from training camp and how are you feeling about the Seattle Storm team? So, yeah, they are scrimmaging right now, actually, as we record this podcast. Amazing. But, uh, media <laughs> were not invited into that. So Saturday with the season opener on ABC against Las Vegas is going to be the first time we get a chance to, to see the storm in action. I, I think one of the big takeaways from training camp has been kind of the arrivals. The Turkish semifinals going long means Mercedes Russell and Epiphany Prince are, are probably going to be you know, later than the start of the regular season when they're going to be able to start playing. And then in a situation that until last week, I don't think we really realized was a potential issue, Kiki Herbert Harrigan, who was 
one of this off-season's additions for the Storm is still not does still not have her visa, and it's unclear when she's going to be able to get that and report to the team. So the last we heard, Dan Hughes was more optimistic about that happening in a reasonable period of time, but doesn't sound like she'll be available for the start of the season either. So uh, definitely going to be shorthanded to start this, as many teams will. Has there been any discussion of how Sue Bird's looking? Um, I know it's you know it wasn't. Look, she she won a championship last year. She played in the finals last year, but there was some injuries uh, that kind of hampered her season last year. Has there been any discussion about how she's looking or feeling? I feel like it's almost a good sign that there hasn't been. So one thing we know is, you know, I asked about this a couple times the first week. Nobody was limited in practice, so she's full go. And one thing she has pointed out repeatedly is, you know, the injury she dealt with last year, which which cropped up twice, was a bone bruise in her knee. It wasn't like, uh, you know, a, a wear and tear injury or anything like that. It was she got hit on the knee and had pain and soreness there and, and wasn't was you know, limited enough that she was unable to play. But that's something that could happen to you at any age, is her point. Mm-hmm. So obviously it's still a concern. You go back to 2019 when she missed the entire season after having surgery to remove a, to remove a uh, bone spur in the knee and, and going back a long period of time. I mean, one of the amazing things that we don't talk about enough, Subert had microfracture knee surgery after the 2003 season. That was 17 and a half years ago. And that's you know, an injury that, that has often been a death knell for players, and she's still going strong so long afterwards. I mean, it's incredible. But yeah, it hasn't come up necessarily a lot, and I've taken that as probably a good sign. Yeah, I mean, hey, whatever the Sue Bird diet, I know that she has like some crazy <laughs> workout regimen paired with a crazy workout uh, eating regimen. Like, someone's got to publicize this because uh, uh, there's a few other WNBA players I'm sure would love to get on this. And hey, if it can prolong uh, my lifespan on pretending I play basketball, then then I'll do it also. Let's talk about this roster. Um, it's a very interesting roster, obviously very different than what we've grown accustomed to in Seattle over the past few years, um, especially considering, what was it, two years ago at this point, the, the years of kind of the last three years in my mind have kind of all blended together with COVID and everything just being so crazy. Um, but, you know, a few years ago, I believe it was two when uh, Stewie was out for the season, Sue missed the season, and Jewel Lloyd was missing the season a lot. Uh, and I was championing that Mercedes Russell should have won most improved player, but she didn't. Um, but let's look at this roster and, and talk about who we kind of expect to make it. I'll kind of defer to you as our resident Seattle Storm expert um, and kind of list off. I'm going to list off 14 players as I view them as kind of the most likely to possibly make this roster. But obviously, you can only have 12 players on the roster. Currently, they have just uh, for the stat checkers out there. They have 12 players on the salary cap right now, but you can have more players uh, during training camp and they do have availability left in the cap. So they might not be done making moves. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, let's let's talk about who's expected to be on this roster. Fully expect that uh, Sue Bird, the one we're talking about, will be on this roster. I think it's a fair assumption that Brianna Stewart will join her with Jewel Lloyd, Jordan Canada, Mercedes Russell, Ezzy Magbegor, Candice Dupree, Katie Lou Samuelson. And now it starts to maybe a little bit get a little less defined and clear. Uh, these are players that you know, maybe I fully expect them to make the roster, but I would not be blown out of my mind shocked if anything changed, right? Uh, Tamara Young, Epiphany Prince, Kiki Herbert Harrigan, Kennedy Burke, uh, Kit Yalaska, uh, Kiana Williams, 
Is there anybody that I missed that you feel could make a legitimate shot of making this roster? Is there anybody um, who, you know, you're thinking, okay, they're on the list, but I doubt they're going to make it? So I think, number one, I would say that Kennedy Burke and Epiphany Prince are probably locks at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, Burke started at small forward in the scrimmage. They, they played on one day. You know, that was her first extended action. She, she got in in time to play in their preseason game in Phoenix on Saturday, but I think only had one practice, maybe two at that point. So I, I think she's in the mix to start at small forward, you know, especially with Katie Lewis Samuelson late to training camp. I, I would be shocked if she didn't make the team. And, you know, one of the questions I asked Dan Hughes last week when we learned that, you know, Prince would be back so late from Turkey is, you know, does this potentially affect her ability to make the team? And his reply was, no, it, it affects, like, we need to figure out who can play those first couple of games in front of her because, you know, it sounds like she is very much in the mix, not only to make the team be part of the rotation. And then as far as kind of the battle for those last roster spots, uh, I, I, you know, I might have missed it. There was a long list. Was Stephanie Talbot in there? Sorry. Oh, that that is a good point. She was a player that I meant to write down and I did not write down. My apologies to Stephanie Talbot. Yeah, so it's going to be interesting. So you mentioned they have room on the cap, and I think what that's probably going to translate into, not necessarily additional moves, but they would have the ability to use temporary suspension to keep 13 players on their roster at the start of the season. Uh I think that math works out now with any combination of the 13, although I'd have to double-check check that for sure. Uh, we, we need Richard Cohen to, to double-check our math right. on that one. <laughs> but basically the situation you could use it for is, you know, if Kiki Herbert Harrigan is not back for an extended period of time, maybe she's on the temporary suspension or possibly use it on one of the players who's playing in the Turkish finals. And then when they're back, that's about the exact same time that Katie Lucianelson would be going to play in the three by three tournament. Mm. So you could mix between those two and not have to actually cut down to twelve until Katie Lucianelson gets back in, you know, kind of June. It's always so interesting to me the kind of shifting that has to take place earlier on in the season um, with so many different commitments um, with other things. It's always it always seems like a, a big chess match early on. But I do want to ask you. I mean. You know, a lot of familiar faces on this roster. We have some changes on this roster. In your opinion, what's the biggest weakness of this team? Is it kind of the youth? Um, is it lack of depth at certain positions? To me, I would go with perimeter defense and, and defense on the wing. I mean, Alicia Clark finally got overdue recognition last year right. is one of yeah. the WNBA's best defenders, premier individual defenders, finished second in defensive player of the year voting, unanimous first team all defense pick. And she, along with Natasha Howard, who was the Defensive Player of the Year in 2019, and and she was my pick last year, even though she played limited minutes, I still thought she was kind of the biggest swing piece on the defense when she was on the court versus off. So she still played a huge role. I think they're better equipped to replace Natasha Howard with Ezzy Megbegor and, and Mercedes Russell at center. But who's going to step into that wing stopper role is unclear. That's not Katie Lou Samuelson's strength. You know, whether Kiki Her- Herbert right. Harrigan has the ability to do that at this point is pretty unproven. And that's a situation that could benefit Tamara Young, I think, because she's someone who has played that role in the WNBA. Mm-hmm. I-, I don't know if she's going to make the roster, but if she does, I think that'll be the biggest reason. And Kenny Burke is also in that mix for sure, too. I think, you know, again, Burke to start the season with Samuelson coming in late and leaving for the 3 by 3 tournament. I think Sa- Burke has a pretty good chance to start at small forward and handle those tougher defensive assignments. 
Yeah, definitely hard to fill the hole of Alicia Clark and what she brought to this team. As you said, long overdue credit. Shout out to Clark. Uh, pretty much everybody should love her. She's one of my, my favorite players in the league personally. But all right, now on the flip side, I mean, without naming specific indiv- individual players, but as a whole, from an X and O standpoint, what do you think the strength of this team is? I think the offense is still going to be very good for this team. I mean, as long as you have Brianna Stewart, Jewel Lloyd, the development we saw from her last season in terms of becoming more efficient as a scorer was a huge step forward in her game and something I am optimistic she's going to be able to maintain. And then, you know, Subert at point guard, even at this stage of her career, it's a huge difference in terms of the threat she poses to defenses with her outside shooting, her playmaking. We saw her set a single-game record for assists in the WNBA Finals, and the team was just much better. You know, The offense ran much more smoothly with her on the court, as well as Jordan Canada has uh, developed as a backup. There's still a difference. So you take those three... Potentially, you know, if Katie Lou Samuelson can translate the breakthrough season she had overseas to the WNBA level, that's got the recipe for a, a potent offense. Before we talk about ceiling and floor, I'm 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 curious your feelings. We touched on, you know, filling that Alicia Clark role, right? And and we know that that's going to be a harder position to fill. We've seen a lot of moves during this offseason by Seattle to address that position. Um, But Natasha Howard is a player that I feel like we'd be remiss if we didn't speak about her departure and what that means. And you brought up Ezzy and Mercedes. And talk to me a little bit about how you feel, because for me, both these players have had like shining moments of, of superstar caliber play. And, and I'm not even saying that lightly and I'm not even, and I know some people might scoff at me when I say that, look, there's the Ezzy fans out there will go wild and say she's the greatest player in the WNBA's history already. And, and I get that there's some jest in that. But can you talk to me a little bit about why you feel, and, and I'm with you on it, that Ezzy and Mercedes can can really step into this role together and kind of by committee, if as it were, um, and, and not, I've, look, I'm, I'm not trying to hate on Natasha Howard, but not miss too many steps from Natasha Howard. Right. I mean, I think it's potentially less of a drop-off, even if Natasha Howard is a better player than Alicia Clark. And we did see, you know, that one of those stretches from Russell that you mentioned, I I assume has to be last year's WNBA Finals, when she played a pretty important role defending Asia Wilson and and Carolyn Swords and the size that Las Vegas was able to put on the court. And that's something that, you know, if you were going to appoint to a weakness of the Storm teams that won the championship in 2018 and 2020, They didn't necessarily match up extremely well against the Brittany Griners, the Elizabeth Cambages of the world, you know, these kind of Sylvia Fowles, these behemoth post players, because, you know, Natasha Howard's 6'3", 6'4", Brianna Stewart's 6'4", you don't ideally want her having to defend these players, and Mercedes Russell was a better matchup in some ways against them, so... I think it's going to be interesting to see how much larger her role is, especially with Cam Beige back in the league. That wasn't something they had to deal with last year with Las Vegas. Ezzy, it's hard not to be excited about her potential. You know, the the versatility defensively, starting with the opening game last season where she switches out on Sabrina Ionescu on a switch and, and just stones her at the point of attack. There's not a lot of centers in the league who can do that at any stage of their career, let alone in their very first game. And she's played well, you know, had a, had a nice preseason game against Phoenix. So, you know, I think she's going to step into a larger role. And then you've also got Candace Dupree is in the mix here. You know, they 
I, I would not be surprised if we see Brianna Stewart and Candace Dupree as the two starters in the front court and both Russell and Meg Begore come off the bench as we saw last season. Well, I think this team, I, you know, I'm not going to disagree with you that uh, about those, those two and two pairings, but I think this team has such an ability to inter, uh, interchange people um, that's probably not the right wording, but to replace <laughs> each other with different with different lineups, uh, just in that front court position. I mean, we're not even talking about the back court right now, but just in that front court position. And I think you add you didn't you don't lose as much athleticism as you think you might when you hear Natasha Howard has has left. And and honestly, you know, hearing you talk about uh, Mercedes go get go up against some bigs in uh, against the aces. Honestly, I was thinking about. Not not just the aces, but also like you said, BG, but also you know Sylvia Fowles. It probably wasn't even this past season; it was probably uh, two seasons ago. Just right. seeing how she goes up against the true established top tier bigs in this league for me was like, wow, th- this girl's got a lot of potential to really, really be a force in this league. So I'm very excited for it. Um, we we we've been doing this with all the episodes with all the different media personalities uh, talking about each team, the ceiling and the floor. Now the ceiling in my mind, um, obviously in my, this team's making the playoffs. Uh, I don't know if I'm as high on them as some of the other talking heads around the W maybe not even as high as you. Um, but I will say like in preparation, I said this before we got on the episode and we were just chatting before in preparation for this episode, I started to look deeper and deeper at Seattle and get more and more excited and start to sit there and go, you know, ceiling might be championship. And and if you would have told me that, you know, a week or two ago or right after the draft, I think I would have looked at you like, what are you talking about? You're crazy. But the more and more I look at it, the more and more I think about it, obviously, it's in my opinion, it's going to come a lot down to Ezzy and Russell's growth, but they truly have the vets. Um, you know, and the stars and a lot of these up and comers that I'd say, you know, the, the ceiling or the ceiling is definitely a, a championship if, if I'm, if I'm going to say that. Um, but I'd say the floor is kind of that five to eight seed. And maybe that's a little bit rash. Maybe that's a little bit crazy, but I'm curious as a much wiser, uh, a much more in tune person, Kevin, can you tell me what, it, you know, it flame on your feet, ceiling and floor, what you picking? I, I think I would go in that same range. You know, if everything breaks right, this is a team, I mean, two year, three years ago, 2018, when this run sort of started and Dan Hughes came in as head coach, no one was thinking championship is the legitimate aspiration for the Storm at that point, but everything clicked and Sasha Howard proved much more effective as that complement to Brianna Stewart in the front court than anyone expected. And you know, kind of some other teams dropped off a little bit and boom, you've got the recipe to immediately win a championship. And they also, I'd say, exceeded expectations in 2019 when, you know, with Stewie out for the year after Sue Bird underwent surgery, I was wondering whether this was even a playoff team. And then they not only make the playoffs, but hit get home court in the uh, the, the first round of the, the one and done and beat Minnesota, as you mentioned, with Mercedes Russell doing a nice job against Sylvia Fowles. So, you know, they've, They've exceeded expectations, I would say, two of the last three seasons, last year being the exception when they won the championship, So, but they couldn't exceed expectations because everyone kind of thought they were the heavy favorites to win the championship going in. So I, I do think championship is a leg- legitimate possibility on the high end and agree that, that probably somewhere five to eight is on the low end. Again, we've seen you know this team, you took away, granted Alicia Clark and Natasha Howard were part of that group, 
you took away Subert and Brianna Stewart, and they still were an above 500 team. So the floor is pretty high, I would say, with, with Dan Hughes and, and Gary Kloppenberg's defense and the talent that is still around. Yeah, I have to agree with you guys. It was like, I know that the roster is different. You know, obviously losing Howard and Clark, um, even Sammy really mixes things up, but then it's like you really sit down and you start dissecting this roster and still how loaded it is and uh, the young potential that I think, I mean, we're, we're, they're going to get a ton of um, minutes, a ton of opportunity. I think that that's what makes this team so exciting is finding those players that are going to step up and fill those holes. How do You can't necessarily exactly replace a Natasha Howard or exactly replace uh, what Alicia Clark brought to the floor. But, I mean, I think it's very evident that Brianna Stewart and, and Jewel Lloyd, um, obviously we could talk about Sue Bird, um, those are the two um, who, can be, let's be honest, Brianna Stewart's the, the best player in the world. Um, but in terms of those two being able to elevate their game to the next level, I want to ask, Kevin, your thoughts on that. Um, is it possible? Is that what they need to do to have this success? And if it's not one of those two, kind of which player in your mind is it that moves the needle for this team to truly be in that contention? Well, if there's another level for Brianna Stewart, I, I would hate to see it for opponents because you know she's already winning everything in sight, basically, over the past year here after coming back from an Achilles rupture, which is just incredible. Uh, with Jewel, I do think there's another level in her development, and that's defensively. Is she going to take on more of these tough defensive assignments with Alicia Clark's departure. I mean, there's going to be, you know, some bigger small forwards that you don't want her defending at five foot 10, but you know, that's, that's, I think one area where she could continue to take a step forward. But to me, the player who really has the chance to, you know, break out this season is Katie Lou Samuelson. She's in a much more, yeah, a much more comfortable situation, I think, than she's been the last two years, you know, uh, in different locations in Chicago and Dallas. Uh, you know, playing alongside Brianna Stewart, a teammate at UConn. You know, the the luxury of having Stewart and Lloyd and Bird, like you mentioned, is you don't need everybody else to come out there and create a lot of their own offense or do a ton of things well. They just need to fit their role and play that well. And that's exactly what, you know, Alicia Clark did and and to an even greater extent, Natasha Howard. And I am glad that, you know, I've been remiss in not mentioning Sammy Whitcomb's departure because that is a, a big loss as well, her shooting off the bench. Uh, Storm did manage to replace her in the finals with Pippany Prince playing a bigger role, but uh, you know Sammy is going to be missed for sure during this season. And that's a really good point too that we shouldn't just like gloss over her just because she missed the final. Like she was a key part of that team for not just this year or last year, I guess, uh, but for years before that and for getting that team to a position. Granted, she was not part of like physically part of the team in the finals. Uh, she had bigger and better things to do. The the birth of her child, uh, who's freaking adorable. Yes. Let's talk about the, the biggest question facing this team. I, I'm curious for you. Um, I'll let you go first. And then if, if you don't touch on what I'm thinking, uh, I'll kind of voice my opinion. But what is the biggest question um, or I guess barrier for this team? I mean, I'd probably come back to that small forward position. That's the biggest question mark by far about this roster. Because as we talked about, they've got lots of options at center to replace Natasha Howard. They've got lots of options at small forward. And, you know, we'll see how much Herbert Harrigan is eventually a part of that, along with Kennedy Burke and, and Katie Lewis Samuelson, who I think start out as the, the two most likely contenders. But it's wide open enough and unproven enough that, 
it could go any direction. And that's, that's also a potential source of weakness if none of those players step up. Oh, totally. And I, you went, you went, you know, small picture. I, I went a little bit more big picture of cohesion and the growth of some of these younger players. To me, it's, and maybe this is too simplistic. Um, but when I, when I look at a, a starting five and you, and you take out two of those and you replace them to me, there's going to be a little bit of that, you know, just uh, not so comfortable growth. Um, and, and hopefully, you know, they grow together and they mesh it and it all works out. But cohesion is really going to be the thing for me that I'm excited to see. Granted, I think what we're seeing in Seattle is very reminiscent and, you know, shame on me for always bringing up my hometown team, Minnesota Lynx. But, you know, during their run of, of winning championships, they didn't always have Sylvia, right? They had Taj. Uh, and and they replaced her with someone else, and then and then they had other players come in, and they replaced. Yes, there was this core, but there was still that rotation of some players. So for me, I'm just excited to see kind of how they plug in these new players and how they can fit into this system. Because to say the the Storm aren't a dynasty, uh, I think might be a little bit out there and crazy. Well, Kevin, we're extremely appreciative of your time. I know you're a busy man. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, remind everyone where they can find you, uh, which Twitter account to, to follow. <laughs> yeah, I mean, hopefully both, but uh, definitely KPL and WBB is where most of the in-game updates and that sort of thing is going to be over the course of the season. So yeah, follow that. Check out ESPN's WNBA page. And uh, thanks for having me. Always enjoy talking about the storm. Always. And uh, let me remind everybody, Winside is your one-stop shop for all your WNBA news and conversation, but we can't do it without your help. Become a subscriber at patreon.com backslash winsider for just a few dollars a month. You can help grow the game.